Today, we devote the next half hour to theology. And a little something extra you didn't expect. This is Lanyap Theology. Welcome back to Lanyap Theology. I'm Dr. Dave Delio. I'm Professor Todd Amick. We're from the University of Holy Cross, and we are in our third season, episode nine. Really excited about this topic. In fact, at first we started with this kind of concept, this is what Lanyap Theology is. And the next thing we said, well, let's focus on a phrase in Scripture. And then I think we really took a dare in saying, let's just focus on a word. Like, we're nine episodes in. In other words, that's several hours we've gone all over the place with just one word in its implications. And have certainly not exhausted the notion of person. We're not even close. You know, that everything we've done so far, looking at the Christian tradition, appreciating how certain things we hear and say from the tradition are kind of heard by, by a contemporary ear. That's right. So when I say a certain word, how are people hearing that? Bring those together, we, we begin to see each one of those presupposes the person who is hearing, the person who is engaging, the person who is doing theology, either in a formal setting, in a university setting, or as we're doing here, bringing the, what happens in the university classroom in an accessible way to everyone else. That's right, and I just actually got out of a class where we were discussing um, the virtue of love, the both the human virtue and then the theological virtue. And um, so my mind is like really a buzz with, with kind of what we're going to be talking about today. And um, in the discussion um, that I was having with my students, it kind of touched back to what we were talking about last week, where we left off uh, discussing kind of one of the great last pieces that the Christian tradition, in my opinion, really brought to both philosophical and theological discourse worldwide, was one of the great debates in the church was, okay, we'll grant you that Jesus had a human nature and a divine nature, but we're not going to grant you that he had two different wills. And the reason why the church said that was this concept of will, the one that we're so solid on today, wasn't so solid back then. That everything is, as long as I can assert my will, I'm free. Right. So will kind of takes the four, but it's not that way historically. That's right. In other words, in the ancient world, um, the word will was kind of designated by this word orexis, which means kind of like appetite or desire or hunger. And so it was more of a function of... Uh, of knowledge, which is like, you know when you know you're hungry? Right. I'm going to get something to eat. I know my inclination instead of I'm asserting myself. Bingo. And what happened was that, you know, this is the beauty of how doctrine kind of both develops, how the church honestly and openly debates things. Um, Even though the debates can turn nasty, you can have schisms, you can have... At the bottom of it all, though, it arises out of we don't want to leave any stone unturned. We want to know as much about God as we can know in the scriptures, in the creation that God has given us, and in the kind of the, the gift of the Holy Spirit guiding the church. And I think this, this historical trend is important because I don't know that we always see that today. So if historically, you know, we see that that people are literally engaging in fist fights over the way that that there's one God related to three divine persons or or related to the way that the two natures in Christ, right, that there are two natures in Christ and how they're related, 
actually having fistfights that testifies, although that's an uncharitable way to approach it, right? We don't suggest that in our classes. <laughs> um, but, but, but that at least shows that, that people recognize this is profoundly important. That's right. Because who God is determines who I am, and yet uh, I think sometimes, um, uh, and 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 maybe some of this is is just in conversation. You know, I think sometimes we can see this with our students as they begin, kind of this journey. The thought is, well, well, why is this important? I mean, I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm I'm, I'm good. good. I'm That's good. Right. Well, and I, you know, the other thing what you're saying is, and this is actually true historically in the church that there have been bishops or bishops legates who actually got into fistfights and or violent kind of denunciations of each other and um because they all knew the stakes were high and but that's also something that's different from our culture our culture says keep your religious beliefs quiet keep them to yourself only share them with the people you trust don't bring it out and that is really a function of uh, kind of in the late, we're in what we're gonna call the late modern period. This idea that religion is just about your individual private quant kind of in, inner feelings. And, uh, but the real truth is the stuff we can talk about in uh, science or, you know, that everybody knows, the periodic table or, you know, atomic weights. Of Where weights. everything overlaps. That's a right. A place we can kind of begin and say we can all agree on this. That becomes this idea of what universal truth is. Um, but actually in the Christian tradition, you were supposed to do kind of following um, from First uh, Peter 3.15, always be able to give a, an account of the hope that's within you. What St. Peter is saying is, you gotta be able to talk about the gospel, explain your religion and your theology, and, and be able to have the debate. St. Paul, in Acts chapter 17, that's one of the classic places we see it in scripture, and obviously Jesus, everywhere in his ministry, is ready to testify to what the faith is. And so in other words, that our faith should be public, it should be able to be, it can't be just kind of hidden and tucked away. What does Jesus say about, you know, when you have the light, you cannot put a lampshade on it. You have to let it shine, and 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 so this is what you know. This is what the church had to do, even though sometimes it became violent or it became distressing. Is that the church said, but we still have to soldier on and do this anyways. Right. One of the the questions that that we pursue in my theology workshop is, you know, what is the relation between knowledge and love? And so with almost everything, I, I begin with a hypothetical and I say, if, you know, if, if you had a, a friend that was in a relationship, you know, and she said, you know, these are the things I know about this guy. I know where he works. I know what his major is. You know, he's, he's in the National Guard, whatever it is. You got that. And then you see her, you know, a month later and you say, how's this relationship going? She said, oh, it's fantastic. And say, well, tell me about him. She says, well, this is where he works. This is what he right, studies. Right, right. You know, w- would that give you pause? And everybody says, well, yeah. And I said, well, Why? Why? And they say, well, because if you don't, if you're not learning more about somebody, then 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 you can't grow in relation. And so, so okay, so so let's hold these up in tension here right. and see where they're linked. Knowledge and love. Okay, so we get that knowledge and love are essentially related. Right. That if we're to seek the good of the other, if we're going to allow ourselves to be drawn and to choose a communion with the other for the good of that other as well as ourselves and everyone else, then that requires not only a general knowledge of what that other is as a human being, but also specifically who that person is as person which is kind of like what aristotle's kind of his his threefold notion of friendship is and uh i have people who say you know hey this is my friend 
And when you dig further, you're like, well, that guy's not really your friend. He's more of like a colleague or an associate. And, and you know, Aristotle points out that there's there's really three layers of friendship. You have the friendship of utility, like, hey, we work together, great guy. If we all go out for an office party or something, we'll have a drink. But, you know, that's where it is. I'm not going to, I don't have his phone number. I'm not going to call him on the weekends. I'm definitely not going to call him if I'm in the spot. Then you have relationships of pleasure, you know, where you have friendships where, you know, we go to sports games together or or we hang out and go to music concerts or, in other words, we're, our friendship is dedicated to enjoyable activities, even picnics and barbecues. But Aristotle's gonna say, that's not where real friendship ends. In other words, you can't fully, you can call them a friendship of X, but you can't really call them a true friend. Because the real foundation is the X, and when that X is gone, whether it's saint season, whether it's we That's work right. together, then the friendship is gone. Like, how many people did you know in high school and college who, if you saw them again today, like, it was great at the time, but, you know, there's nothing there. Like, you start talking about other stuff that's happened in your life, and you find that there's no there there. And, you know, what Aristotle is going to say is that that third tier, the kind of the peak of what, re- when you saw call someone really a friend, is when it is their goodness that you share, but it's their otherness, their depth, and, and there comes a point in time where they've exposed it to you, and you've exposed yourself to them. You know, uh, John McQuarrie, a famous Scottish philosopher, would say, you're never gonna really know you have a friend until you've had a fight. Because after the fight, if you come back and say, man, I love you even more, like we're, we're better friends, uh, husbands and wives do this all the time, that you, you, have this, you have a bond after you've had a major argument and you realize why that person's so much more precious to you because you were able to have that argument with that person. McQuarrie would say, then you know friendship is, many times you can have a fight with someone and say, I wash my hands of you, I'm walking away. Right. You're who you are. And he'll say, then you figured out there that that, that goodness of the other and is gone. And so you, you, you'll figure as we had a friendship either of utility or of pleasure. Right. And as the sonnet says, love is not love which alters when it alteration finds. Right. So if it changes and then all of a sudden you're not friends, you don't, you don't experience that philia, that, that love. That's right. Then that doesn't mean that that changed. It meant, well, no, that, that depth was really never all. It never was never really there. Dead. I mean, that's why we break, break up in relationships. That's why we walk away from friendships. And that's why we never call people back, even though we want to call them back. But we don't really want to call them that. Right. So, so in, in, you know, obviously the Christian tradition, especially Thomas Aquinas, picks this up and says, this is really the goal with God. That God came down to be our friend, but in the highest height of, not of utility. So it's not, Jesus not my friend function. Like, I got to have my little Jesus spot. Like, I got my Sundays and that's it. Nor is it Jesus a pleasure. Like, I love going to worship. I love going to church. And then I go to work and I, I kind of forget about Jesus until I come back. Compartmentalize, right. That's right. It's, 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 I'm literally walking with you, sharing a house, spending every day with you. Right. And as, as Aristotle's analysis does, it shows that, that really the, the principle of abidance right. determines the level of friendship. That's and right. if, if God is the ground of all being, if he is the abidance, if he is what the, the psalmist says he is. Right? If he, this is God more present to me than I am to myself, then the answer is, then the only friendship worthy of friendship with him is a friendship that truly abides and that no, knows no boundaries. That's right. And, and, and the difference with you know, a friendship with God is, is I, you know, he initiates, but I have to actually reciprocate. I have to actually want to be a part of this. Um, but, and, and I was telling my students, I said, the most beautiful thing about it is there's no other religious tradition in the world that says God became a human to get on our level to bring him up to him, to his level, in friendship. 
the whole idea was it's not coming over in lordship, even though we call Jesus Lord and he is our Lord and master. On the other hand, he's also our friend. There's a neat paradox to deal with. How is your your Lord, you're, you're saying, I'm coming on your level to be your friend as well. And when Jesus says, no, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends in right. the Gospel of John, that should be one of the most stunning statements of any religious tradition ever. I have not come across something in that that direct, that poignant, and in that way. And just say it, that's scandalous. Yes. Right? It's a, it's a scandal, and it's a stumbling block to be able to hold, okay, I, I can't forget, because our minds want to say, wait a minute, how can I fit Jesus into a category, a human category that makes sense? Right. My friends are limited. Okay, so I'll limit Jesus to my friend. Well, he's like my buddy, instead of, wait a minute, the, the same Lagos, right, the same Jesus whom we call Kyrios, whom we call Lord, is the same Jesus who then condescends to That's us right. in friendship. Those held together show the profound mystery and scandal of divine love. It should freak you out. Yes. I mean, you should honestly be like, wait, so the creator of the universe, creator of like the, you know, the time, space, everything like that also says, hey man, like, let's be friends. Right, right. I, wild. Yeah, on the other side of the break, what we're going to do is we're going to look, we're going to focus ourselves on Christ and a couple of key themes that we've touched on, such as will and freedom, which is going to bring us into love. And then we're going to begin to unpack what it means to be a human that is in love as well as loved. Awesome. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Hey y'all, this is Matt Picard from Brobers, Louisiana. I'm a senior theology major at the University of Holy Cross, New Orleans. I'd like to tell you why I chose to become a part of the Holy Cross family. My time here has been challenging, but in a good way, the way I want to be challenged. I've grown in mind, heart, and body. As a theology major, I've learned about the Catholic tradition and philosophy while expanding my faith and understanding. My heart has grown in service to others as past theology club president, lecturer at mass, and through a variety of community projects, As a former high school athlete, I've also enjoyed fellowship in sports and activities with my friends at Holy Cross. I could have chosen a variety of excellent majors at the university, but I chose theology because of my passionate desire to know more about God, Christ, and His church. I know with this foundation that whatever I choose, I will be successful and more fulfilled knowing how my faith relates to all that I do. To learn more about our theology program, please visit our website at uhcno.edu backslash theology. Welcome back to Landing Up Theology, and uh, we are in episode nine. We we just spent, I thought, a really fun um, moment before the break discussing kind of these implications of love and friendship. And yeah. You said you had you had had an anecdote during the break. I did, I did. I, I gave a talk recently. My my daughter's school for military appreciation invited me to come in and to speak to all the parents and, and the auxiliary as well as all the the whole student body. And so I brought in my, my, my different berets, my red beret that I got when I, when I became airborne. Um, and when my dad uh, flew to Fort Bragg and put my little uh, airborne wings on me, um, when, when he was actually told, he was a, a Marine Corps um, uh, a backseater in F-4 Phantoms. And so everybody was told, you need to put the backing on so that the pins don't go in. Well, there's a tradition of leaving it off and hitting it. And so my dad listened to them say, okay, go ahead and uh, make sure the backing's on. And he took it off and, and pounded them into me. So I had the red beret and also had my green beret, you know, which is from Special Forces. And so as I'm, I'm giving my talk, I, I brought my girls up. Each of them are wearing the berets, talk to the kids then talked to the parents. And at the end, uh, an older man came up to me and said, 
uh, that he had spent 20-something years in the Coast Guard, and he said he just read the, the Navy Times. And he, he said, oh, did you, did you hear that story? And, and you know, of course I hadn't. I'm submitting my dissertation in a little over a month, so I read nothing but that, right. you know, but research. And he said, yeah, he said there was a, a Walmart greeter who um, – uh, would always come in about 15 minutes late, and he was spectacular. He was organized, he was sharp, he was kind, he was uh, just eminently competent, but he was always about 15 minutes late. And finally, one of the managers there said, you know, so-and-so, you are amazing. Like, you're our best employee, we we love, you know, having you here. He said, but but you were, you were a Navy guy, right? You know, you're 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 always about fifteen minutes late. I thought Navy guys were always on time. You know, I don't I don't want to seem disrespectful, but but what did your you know, what did your the people around you say when you walked in fifteen minutes, you know, fifteen minutes late? He, he said, Or did you? And he said, Yeah. He said, I walked in fifteen minutes late every single morning. He said, Well, what did they tell you? He said, Well, they told me, Good morning, Admiral, how do you want your coffee? <laughs> That's great. So as we see that that the Christ who becomes present to us and reveals to us love we need to keep in mind, this Christ is also the Lagos. This Christ is also fully God. To know the profound witness of his condescension requires holding always in in our minds, this is the condescension of God. Right, and and it can come in, as as that story kind of shows, in very surprising ways. we were we, we touched on and I'm just gonna kind of I'm gonna seal this one off because I think you really have something uh, because this really is gonna be your life's work to an extent to share. Um, I just wanted to, to finish off with, with saying that the 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 church really opened up new avenues for us to discuss the human person and love because we came up with an essential part of talking about Jesus's will because the will is that peace. That, that, that element, that spiritual element of us that pushes us beyond how we feel at a given moment and sometimes even what we know um, in terms of the will can keep us steady when we have a doubt. We may be able to keep pushing forward. Uh, when we are not feeling up to something, our will can keep driving us to say, keep going, like this is excellent. And so one of the one of the most important pieces when the church was saying, well, Jesus has a human nature and a divine nature, they didn't consider the will as part of human nature. Like God's will, they were like okay with. And so Jesus only had to have one will. He had the divine will, but a human nature. Why would you need anything else? And that led to a both theological and philosophical distinction of humans have to have separate wills and minds. So does God. Not in the way that we have it, because God is infinitely simple. So his will is his mind, is his being, is his, I mean, it's... And this philosophical term, simplicity, means there are no constituent parts. There's a perfect unity in God. You have parts of your body, you have even parts of your your mind, your soul, your spirit. Uh, To to an extent, God doesn't. And, um, but... What's important is to say that Jesus as a man had a human will, and that will was in perfect accord with the divine will. But what that did was, and it took several hundred years, but it broke open this creative, refreshing way of thinking about the human being. And, and really, St. John of uh, Damascus was really the first person to, to begin to reflect on, okay, so we have our intellect or our mind, and we have our will, and we have our soul, 
and spirit. And he began to kind of to lay out this anthropology that then got t- taken up by the, the, the at least the, the Latin church. So there's a simplicity of the soul, the human soul as well. Right. But but what John is saying here is that we can abstract. Right. We can or we can. There's something that shows up. An operation, something we do. That's unique. Right. And, and, whereas the ancient world didn't have, even Augustine, who thought more of the will, much more in terms of in the divine side of it, didn't have it laid out as this is a distinct power. Sometimes we call it a faculty, which is the word, you know, means a power that we have. It's a distinct power that we have in us. But what I want to say is that that really began some very fresh in very unique and distinct ways of us understanding who we are. But it started with who God is. And only through the incarnation. What I want to say is some of the most blazing, amazing philosophical thought actually came out of theological dogma. That, in other words, once we distinguish that Jesus was this and that, has a will and God has a will, that all of a sudden opened up fresh vistas for people to begin to see so who are we? See, so yeah, in other words, this is how revelation kind of overflows its own self. And so that we're not just stuck in God now. We're, we get to say through God's revelation, we get to know who we are. And has very practical and, 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 and certainly important consequences. So that if we then see, okay, well, well Jesus is, is God, Jesus is human. So if the perfect human has these different faculties, yes. and if we see them in perfection, then we do as well. I wonder if historically, I mean, we we know that the the abolitionist movement, the different ones, right, from William Wilberforce in the um, uh, in England to the abolitionists here in the United States to other places, especially in the West, that first said, "Wait a minute," um, in light of some notion of human dignity, um, we need to to say. Therefore, humans cannot own other humans. Right. Like we take that today as, as, as just a given. Right. Not realizing that, that this is a, a rare kind of, kind of section That's in right. human history where it, it, at least a great number of people are not saying, yes, it's okay to own others. Right. I mean, there are places in, in, in the world where as late as 1960, that's where slavery was officially outlawed. And of course, it continues to happen in places. Right. But I wonder if the, the analysis, the reflection, the contemplation of the uniqueness of human person in light of divine person kind of fed this debate. Well, think, we then said, if, if there is will, there is freedom, and we can't own that. I think there is um, sufficient scholarship that would say it, 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 it isn't, it's murkier because mm-hmm. of how history develops. But, and hiccups, um, to be sure, right? But Working I would say, this out. But I would say that there are, there's plenty of actually historical research out there that would support exactly what you said. Yeah, because um, we think in terms of, okay, well, it's, it's because the Christian is, is, is love, that the Christian loves the other and therefore frees the other, right. not realizing, but but there's a, a an intellectual content to that. Right. It's not just saying, boy, I really like people, I want them to be free. It's a That's matter right. of a person is unique and special, which also means that when people tell me because of financial and political interests, no, no, they're not, I can say, yeah, there's a lot of incentive for you to say that, but let me tell you, the answer is yes, they are. Right. And, and, and I would just say that um, I, I think what Will opens us up to is, you know, the modern world is obsessed with the notion of freedom. And the will, even though St. Augustine wrote about the free will, he was really the first person in history to, to use those terms together. Um, when 
after the the third council of constantinople and john of damascus kind of really kind of separated and made a distinction of what the will is that opened up as i was saying kind of this this creative thinking on the what does free will mean so you're, you're taking like the tradition from augustine you're taking sources in scripture you're taking dogma from councils and then you're bringing it together in this theological philosophical way that really it takes another thousand years to develop today i mean you talk about freedom everybody's like yeah we know what that means you know even though we don't necessarily know right. what it means but we don't talk about freedom the way we talk about freedom without you had to first get to what is when i say free will what is that right and 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 then how does that relate to love how does that relate to relationship how I mean, does that relate to what is mind? free will for right bingo and i think that that's where we want to go um both in in both in god but in, in in human beings too to kind of keep that that how we're doing that mirror effect of we begin talking about the divine to get us to the human and i think that's where we want to go with our in our kind of subsequent episodes letting that kind of play out in how we see like slavery is a great example and i think it would be interesting is in a, you know some later episodes where does modern slavery show up again like the sex trade in immigration in certain countries that either haven't accepted or gotten that that understanding, ideas have consequences. That's right. And our our reason. This is something that 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 we'll be looking at as well. Our reason is related to the act of faith. The act of faith opens us up to a, a reason that is is that looks to the ground of all being to be able to elucidate what it means to be human, what it means to be person. We recognize that the world is ordered. We can recognize also, and in, in this uniquely in the Christian faith is, we can recognize that the God who reveals God's self as love, you know, which we see in, in, in the first letter of St. John, the God who reveals that this love is event, you know, that this God uh, gives his only begotten son uh, so that those who believe in him, we should be thinking of season two of Landing right. Out Theology, those who believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Um, and then to see what is this love of friendship where, where if Jesus is God and invites us into fellowship with himself, then what are the implications? What does it mean that we have come to know and believe in the love God has for us? Right. So in, in other words, we're, we're kind of laying a path out here that, you know, it may be boring. I, I did a whole paper. I did like a 25-page paper on the concept of will in Western thought. There's a great book on that by Vernon Bork. And it can get dry, it can get kind of boring, but when you open it up to freedom, all some people are listening. And then when you bring it to its end, its conclusion, which is love, which necessarily entails will and freedom, then it gets like real interesting because you say, well, how does that go in my relationship with my kids, with my spouse, with my colleagues, with my friends, with my family? You, in other words, you have to kind of begin kind of holding these ideas. Love is just not just a, a word. It's not just an emotion. It's not simply just an act. It, it entails the spiritual aspect of yourself, your will. It entails freedom. And, and so there's like, there's this depth dimension to it that sometimes we can just, you know, oh, here's a box of chocolate with a heart on it. You know, that's, I love you, honey. Th- that there's a lot more going on there. 
and and I think that's where we want to start going in our next episodes and seeing how that's going to play out. Most certainly. What we'll see also is that not only does it involve all of the spiritual kind of exercises and faculties that you've mentioned, but it also involves the body. That's right. That it is the person who loves. And what I mentioned before about kind of the the bookends of um, God so loved the world and, and beginning with that God is love and then somehow getting to we have come to know and believe in the love God has for us, which which John also offers us, is the introduction to Deus Caritas Est, Benedict XVI's first encyclical and my research. And in the next show, we're going to see what does Benedict have to say about divine and human love. All right. So we are Lanyap Theology concluding episode nine. Looking forward to episode 10. We'll see you next week. Lanyap Theology is a production of Catholic Community Radio.